Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 147. What sound can you hear? I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Matthew as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Alex. I'm glad to be here. We were talking a little bit before, and Matt, Matthew has a podcast, so that just got me really excited, so he knows how to talk. I know how to talk. Well, it sounds like basic human habit. You know how to talk, right? Yeah. I, I Pretty well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Humans do those things, right? The, the movement of the mouth and sound coming out. Yes, we do that. But it's not too much about me explaining the basic human functions. Today is all about Matthew, but before we jump into the topic, which I have not revealed yet, I'm going to ask the very, very annoying question that I've asked on every single episode. Who is Matthew? Great question. Um, you know, this is one I actually didn't prepare for, although I guess, you know, I should be able to answer it off the top of my head. I would answer that question today. Who is Matthew? Um, I am a person in transition uh, professionally and I guess in every other way, just given the circumstances, we're recording this in the middle of a pandemic, um, my first pandemic. And so I don't know what the other end of this of this window looks like. Um, but I'm moving from working as a gardener, trading time for money uh, to an undetermined professional role uh, in the hopefully rather relatively near future, um, but one that um, one that will have uh, more meaning to me uh, and give me greater latitude to, to make the sort of impact on the culture that I would like to make. That's a perfect introduction. And you know what, you sound like you're very ambitious and very hardworking, open minded. And you know what, more power to you, man. Thank you so much. And if they don't hire you, they hire you just say, hey, I have a friend named Alex. He's going to yell at you in a D voice. <laughs> He's like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so speaking about more about you, do you have any social media links, websites, projects, or anything at all that you would love to share to, so people can come show you some love? Well, thanks. Um, I don't spend any time for the most part on social media. Um, I do have an Instagram account, I guess, that I put some photographs on. Uh, my name there is Photochthon, which I should spell P-H-O-T-O-C-H-T-H-O-N. Um, people are welcome to link, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, if, you, if you search Matthew Word Bain, uh, Matthew with two Ts, W-O-R-D-B-A-I-N, you should be able to find me. And the podcast website is adventuresinabc.xyz. And speaking about your podcast, we can't just leave it at that. What is your podcast about? So people get <laughs> curious. Thank you. It's about learning. It's a meta project. I'm, um, there are other podcasts that I want to make eventually, but I decided to make an initial podcast as an opportunity to learn how to make a podcast without having too much pre putting too much pressure on myself to create content. Um, so it's a podcast about learning. ABC Darian is an old word from Latin that refers to the first four letters of the Latin alphabet. And an, an ABC Darian is, uh, it's like a cocktail party word. It's a word you can use to impress people, but uh, it just means a novice or a beginner. So, but I thought, well, an ABC Darian could also be like somebody from ABC Daria if only such a place existed. So fortunately, no one else had invented it yet. And I had the opportunity to invent that domain of ABC Daria, the place where everyone is a beginner and a novice and learning how to do something new. So Adventures in ABC Daria is the name of the podcast. And I just invite regular folks on and I ask them four questions. What are you learning these days? 
How are you learning it? What is that process teaching you about how you learn? And what would you recommend to someone else who wanted to learn either what you're learning or anything else? I love the concept. That's awesome. For some strange reason, I don't know when you said I asked four questions, I was thinking like a police investigation. Where were you on March 8th, 1996 at 7 to 32 p.m.? Oh, my goodness. Uh Brushing my teeth? Wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> but no, that's... It's, 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 there's much less pressure than that. <laughs> well, that's perfect. You know what? I'll put all those links down below so people can go show you some love and just support you. Thank you so much. And now we're going to jump into the topic of today, which is field recording. Mind giving a definition of what that is exactly for people who might not know what it is. Sure. Field recording is going out into... A, I mean, I think most often it's associated with a natural space, but going out into the world, let's say, with a recording device or devices of some sort and recording the sounds that are to be found out there. Uh, and that could be um, specific sounds at a close range or just the ambient sound of, of, a, of a space. You could go out into the forest and record just the sound of the forest on a morning when the sun is coming up and the birds are singing, or you could go into an urban space and record the sound of jackhammers at a construction site. I think it's usually associated more with natural spaces, but it's not, it's not actually limited to that. That is awesome. So you must have like a giant library of sounds, but actually, do you remember like the first time you got into it? You're like, you know what? I want to start recording sounds. And do you still own the first thing you've ever recorded intentionally? Not, let's say, not like a butt dial, like your phone, which is on your butt, but I mean, <laughs> like an intentional recording. Yeah. You know, I have some old tapes. Uh, I started recording uh, sounds back in the 1980s and, and uh, it would have been on one of those old like schoolhouse cassette decks with the cover that flips up uh, and, uh, and it had a terrible little condenser microphone on it. And we, I remember uh, my brother and I would record my father snoring when he was taking a nap in the afternoon because he didn't, he didn't believe us when we told him that he snored and we convinced him otherwise. Um, my brother also had a real penchant for recording the sound of the toilet flushing. Uh, so that, that was, there was a lot of amusement there, I suppose. But other than that, those are the early, those are the earliest experiences that I remember and whether or not those specific tapes remain, I don't know, but I know I've still got some tapes that go back to, to close to that era. Now, this might be a really odd question, but when you did record your dad sleeping and snoring, did you record multiple times and then compare them, do like a scientific database? Like, okay, well, he had a long day at work today and today's snore lasted 30 seconds compared to last day's snore, which was 25 seconds, which he had a really relaxing day. <laughs> I, I, I must confess we were not so astute as to come up with such a plan. I think that really that was a... Uh... It was like a chance for the kids to prove something to the grown-ups. You know, he he wouldn't believe us that he was snoring, and so at that point, that wasn't even really consciously as much about being fascinated with the sound as it was using the recording medium to prove a point. But I think that I mean, if you think about it, or if you listen to someone snoring, it's a pretty fascinating sound. So chances are that did have a direct impact on on the way that I have been fascinated with sound ever since. So I have to ask, you said you were trying to prove a point. 
Did you put a bet down? Like, okay, we can have cereal for dinner for a week if we bet or we like <laughs> we prove to you that you were you snore. You know, we should have been more enterprising. <laughs> and that did not come up. And we, it's a real missed opportunity. Oh, okay. So do you remember the first sounds that you actually kept in your record that you still have? I don't. I know that I, that I spent, you know, I hadn't heard of anything like field recording at the time, even though I was doing it. But I know I was making re ambient recordings to some extent back then. What I guess what happened was, you know, what I've been describing with this old tape deck w w would have been in, in like the, the mid 80s. I would have been in, in middle school, uh, early high school, maybe. And, and I started playing music a little bit after that, like in high school. And then right after high school, I had a chance to start using four track tape recorders to do multi-track recording. And uh, I, I used to think that was long before digital recording occurred. But then I found out that was actually decades after uh, or at least 15 years after people were actually releasing digitally recorded albums because that started actually in the 1970s. But of course, it was very high end. So I, my point is, though, that I got interested in recording music specifically and spent a lot of time playing with that, learning to to do different things in the multi-track setting, and also learning how to play music and write songs and all these things sort of came together. But I wasn't so much focused on I wasn't so much focused on field recording at that point. But recording has been the constant thread throughout. And field recording as a practice is something that is developed over time. And, and it's mingled somewhat with, uh, with what's called Foley, which is a little bit different, which I can describe for your listeners as well, if that's of interest. Absolutely. Well, Foley is, originates in radio, and it's the, the, the sounds that you associate with action happening that you're hearing. So in a radio drama, they would do, um, if you have someone walking down the road, they'd have somebody standing in a little box filled with gravel taking steps up and down with the microphone on it so you could hear footsteps on the road and you'd record. Uh, they were usually doing this live on radio, so it wasn't the always the actual sounds. You'd find ways of mimicking sounds. Um, like, for instance, wind is hard to record because wind brushes across the microphone capsule. It's hard to keep it from, from ruining the recording. So how do you actually record the wind? Um, one trick is to drag a heavy piece of carpet across another piece of carpet and record that sound. And you can vary the speed that you're dragging it at. And that's one way that people, just as an example, will mimic a sound in nature with something contrived in a studio setting. I got into that a little bit. Uh, once I found out what it was, I was fascinated by it, this notion of, of mimicking, finding creative ways of mimicking sounds. That joined in with my work uh, recording music uh, and getting more and more interested in production and, and mixing engineering in terms of music when I had made a cassette tape album with a friend of mine in the late 1990s. And um, we uh, it was a total indie sort of thing. We didn't have it was distributed to our friends. It wasn't really published, um, but we decided to, to, to digitize it, to make it a, a CD out of it. And in doing that, we decided to add some things, some interstitial, inter, like some interludes between the songs. And there was one song about a barroom fight uh, on, the, on, the, on the album. And we decided we would uh, stage a barroom fight in audio 
as a, as an introductory piece to that um, to that song, and that involved going down to the recycling center and uh, with a with a broom and a dustpan <laughs> and a tape deck and uh, smashing a bunch of bottles on the concrete pad, and I we dutifully swept up all of the shards of glass that were the result of all of these bottles we smashed. Um, so we, we did our best to be good citizens, um, while we were breaking glass in public, but we wanted to have the sound of someone hurling bottles at a barroom wall, um, as part of the barroom fight that we were creating as an audio experience. And, that was great fun. I haven't done much like that since, but you can see how that can start to overlap with what field recording is. This is still, we weren't mimicking anything. We were creating sounds as opposed to recording found sounds. But like I said, recording is the thread that runs through all of it. And, uh, and field recording has its own flavor compared to Foley or recording music. So you're, now you're speaking my language because I love anything regarding to recording because I used to produce music. Well, I still do kind of. Now, anything re related to like recording, I even tried to record myself while sleeping to see if I sleep talk. And apparently I do. And I say the weirdest things. But uh, wow. I, I can really connect with you on that. And a weird question I had to ask you was, uh, what was the weirdest thing that you heard or created to replicate a sound, like mimic a sound? Let's say the sound of a cat meowing you use milk I, I don't know this <laughs> so i don't know but i mean like that kind of like oh you never expected that would be that yeah i don't have a good answer for that because i don't know that i ever got that creative with it it wasn't something i did a whole lot of and i'm actually i know there were some other things we did on that record but i can't remember them right now what stand out stands out for me always is the the you know just the story i just shared about about breaking bottles and in uh, in public, uh, I, uh, you know, I'll add one other funny piece to that is that my friend, I made the album with one friend and then with another friend, we uh, quote unquote digitally remastered it. it. It really didn't involve mastering, but that was the phrase, only phrase we knew to use for what we were doing, but we really digitized it. Um, and with that friend, we were sort of, I guess, producing the digital version. And um, we're the two that went down to to break the bottles uh, he was actually on city council in that town at the time. So I guess I felt particularly safe breaking bottles <laughs> at the recycling center, given that I had such a, 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 a municipal authority um, uh, with me. <laughs> but uh, um, but yeah, I'm sorry, I don't have, you know, I this is something that I, I haven't gone into fully as much as I have been fascinated by it. Although uh, I keep thinking I will, I'm really interested in filmmaking and all the different aspects of filmmaking. And I have done a little bit of work as a, as a, as a lo what do they call them? Like a, a location sound recordist or something. And I, I just, I guess a record, a sound recordist for film, for video technically, but for movie making. And that was mostly about recording dialogue, uh, but also uh, recording ambient sound. Um, and we didn't do any foley, any foley in the, the, the projects that I worked on, but I keep thinking about how enticing that medium is, uh, how many facets there are to filmmaking, and um, the fact that sound design and foley um, factor into that so much is something that I really, that's uh, just really attractive to me. It's something I pay attention to in, in watching films, and uh, I, I just haven't done very much of it. You know what? Just after this episode, you were like, damn it, Alex, why? Now I, I really want to do it. 
<laughs> but you know what? Let's go back to the field uh, recording where this is the reason why I have you on here. Sorry for asking all the other ones. But how big is your current audio recording collection? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, d- I don't, I don't have, a, I can't give you an, an actual uh, accurate answer. Like I, that, that most of that stuff is on an archival drive right now because I'm not doing much with it in this moment. And I've got all these other things that involve the heavy data load of audio. So I'm having to cater to them. I would, I would estimate the digital catalog to be around 30 gigs, which is, uh, that's, that's, that's maybe a little on the heavy side, but if it's not there yet, it will be by the end of the year. <laughs> so I like to record long recordings, if, if particularly if it's an ambient, if I'm recording a space, like if I am going out into the forest to record the birds waking up in the morning or the, the, you know, the crickets at night or something, then I like to have a long, and I like to try and record an hour. And so that's, you know, that's usually a, a little over a gig. At the the way that I'm recording it, that's usually about a gig. So um, I think 30 is a pretty safe estimate. Well, there's two things I want to mention. The first thing is uh, if you are ever interested, there's a website called archive.org, which is pretty much the library of the internet. And you can just upload things there and it just lasts forever. It's free. And this is not a sponsorship, but if you know Archive, if you want to sponsor, <laughs> but it's a good way, like eventually, like my podcast is going to end hopefully not for a while, but I do plan to put it there. So many generations later can listen to it and be like, wow, now I want to do a field recording like Matthew. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you as well was uh, for the long sessions that you do record, do you ever use those audios to help you go to sleep? So you play one of your recordings. Great question. And I also just want to bookmark, I have a, a comment about the audio, the, the archive.org piece. Um, but, but to answer your question first, I, I have not done that with my own recordings. I've actually done that with other, <laughs> with other people's recordings. I don't have really high-end gear, um, but I also uh, just haven't set things up to do that. It's something that I for a while, a couple of years ago, I was going out and doing this uh, with the the thought that other people might find value in that as an opportunity. And I know that there are there are folks online that offer field recordings specifically for people to use as white noise for help in sleep. Like people um, with with tinnitus have a hard time sleeping because there's a certain frequency they hear in their head, and by listening to Certain varieties of white noise, sometimes industrial uh, or, or or anthropogenic, sometimes from nature, um, they can essentially cancel out the frequency that's disturbing them. So it can really help them sleep. I wasn't looking at it that specifically, but just more that it's soothing to hear the sound of a mountain stream when you're going to you know when you're lying down to bed or or something like that. But I, I but but the short answer is no, I haven't actually done that with my recordings, I ironically, perhaps enough. But there's another website that I wanted to mention. And again, this is not, I don't, this is not a sponsorship arrangement, but just because I think it's a really neat website. Um, it's called apore.org, A-P-O-R-E-E dot O-R-G. And it's a it's a map. It's like a global map. Like if you were going to, to go onto a, a, a website with map software where you can zoom in and zoom out and look at the satellite imagery all over the world, they have, that's the basis of the site. 
And then all over the globe on that map, there are all these little pins. And every pin represents a field recording at that location. And it's really easy to, to get lost in there. I mean, it's, it, there are people really all over the world. I've listened to rain in a gutter in Bulgaria. I've listened to the sound of, of foot traffic underneath a, a railway bridge um, in a small town in Japan. Uh, there, I mean, and then there are, of course, people going out in the middle of, of natural settings and doing the same thing. They're often shorter recordings, like 10 minutes or less. But it's an amazing opportunity, if this kind of thing is interesting to you, to go out and hear what the world sounds like in other places. And I know right now, um, we're recording this in the midst of this pandemic, there have been people that are making a special effort to record locations as they are now in this strange moment where there's very little human traffic where there typically would be otherwise. I don't know why, but I feel like if this technology existed when you were a kid, you would have recorded your dad snoring. And then if you go over the map, just over your house, <laughs> he's like, oh, there's a man snoring in this house. <laughs> it would have been a great thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Now, you're talking about you don't have the highest end of equipment, but I have to ask, what kind of equipment do you use to do your field recording? Great question. I, I use something really simple that's pretty good. It's um, uh, it's a Tascam is the brand. Uh, DR05 is the model. And I'm pretty sure it's one that's still available. They change. Uh, they have a number of different portable recording units that they they change a little bit every year or so, but I think that model's still available. It cost me about a hundred bucks. It's got a fixed set of stereo microphones, con stereo condenser microphones on it, and it accepts a a little I don't know what the cards are called, but a little data card that you can get up to like sixty four gigs that you can swap in and out. Um, so it's got plenty of of storage. Like I said, an hour at a pretty high uh, audio quality is is usually a little over a gig. Um, you could go crazy and record. Uh, you can pretty much record the highest audio, audio quality you want in terms of digital settings on that device. You're limited by the microphones um, to how good a quality of recording you're going to get. But it's they're good enough that if you're not a microphone enthusiast or or, or a microphone snob, you, you're not going to hear anything about it that that stands out to you as as, as lacking. Um, there are definitely uh, you, you can go almost endlessly up in terms of quality from there. And you can go considerably down in terms of quality from there. I, I got that because I was, um, I think it's a good approach to buy something relatively inexpensive to start doing something like this because you always, you always can trade up for, for more expensive gear. And this way you're only at a hundred bucks. If, if what, you know, if what you buy is, is not working for you and then you can use it just to, you know, take voice notes or something with later. But, you know, there, if I had a, if I had a thousand dollars, I could spend it in a, about half an hour buying better, better gear online. Um, and, uh, what I would really want would be a, like a more substantial, component recording unit um, that didn't have fixed mics to it and then to buy a handful of different microphones a stereo pair of condensers uh, and um, a stereo pair of shotgun mics and the you know the cables to connect them and stands and a bag to carry it all in um, and that's a you know that's a pretty still so far as things go that's a fairly minimal uh, sort of field recording rig 
but that you know what I just described would would cost you close to a thousand dollars on the low end, and and as much more than that almost as you want on the high end. But yeah, so now you've got me dreaming about what I want. <laughs> but what but what I'm using is just this. It's a good functional quality hundred dollar unit. So what you're telling me is that people listening who would like to donate this equipment to you, you wouldn't say no, right? I would say yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, if people want to donate that exact equipment, uh, you know what? And then, you know what? Throw in a parrot in there. That will record some sounds as well. <laughs> Maybe not the sounds you want, but it's it's one way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to be careful what I say then. <laughs> exactly. And then you just hear those sounds everywhere you go. <laughs> and for you, what would you say is the best part about field recording on a personal and an emotional level? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I, um, I'm an introvert. And so I, I recharge uh, my social batteries by being alone. I'm actually gregarious. I like being around people, but I always feel like I'm running on batteries. And my batteries are running out when I'm, when I'm being social. So I like to, I, I need to go and be alone. And usually it's nice to do that in sort of a quiet place. And so for me, that aligns really well with field recording. I like most to record sounds of nature. Uh, I do like train sounds too, but um, both of those settings typically involve going out somewhere where there really aren't other people around for the most part. And and when I'm going to record sounds in nature, I usually want to exclude human sounds to the extent that I can. So the the process for me became sort of a, a meditative uh, practice or I, I aligned it with a meditative practice. So I would go out and, and, and listen and I like to put my headphones on and listen for the best placement of the microphones and, and set things up and hit record and walk away. So I'm out of, out of range of the microphones and then, um, use my meditation app with all the, the bells and stuff turned off. And I just like to sit and be still in that peaceful setting and let the microphones do their things. And then hopefully there aren't too many mosquitoes around and, uh, and just sit and be still and, and, um, just be, you know, notice my surroundings. And for me, that's really soothing. And it's, um, I usually emerge from an experience like that, uh, re you know, rejuvenated to some extent. So that is, uh, I mean, it's really like a resource for me in that way. So, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's the best thing I've gotten from it. I could imagine it being so relaxing. Let's say one evening or night, you go stargazing, you record and you just sit and watch the sky. That would be great. I haven't even thought about doing it in, in under cover of darkness, but, um, that's a great idea. And another question I had, it's in relations to, well, I was gonna say in relations to field recording, which is basically the topic of this episode, but has there has it ever happened that you've recorded a sound that you had no idea what it was and you have a hard time identifying what that sound may be? Wow, that's a really interesting question. I uh I have to think about that. <laughs> if you if you want, we can jump on to the next question and then you can come back to that. Yeah, why don't we do that? Nothing comes to mind right off. So I will keep that on the back burner. Perfect. So when you do go out to record sound, do you go out with an objective saying today I want to record the sound of a river flowing or do you just say this looks like a nice spot, I'm going to go record here? Yeah, a little bit of both maybe. I usually, I guess that what I usually have done is I, I have a, like I'll sometimes look at a map uh, and to sort of see, you know, areas that are within a certain distance drive that I can get to in the time that I have that day and that I haven't been to that might have something that might sound interesting. And I'll, I'll head out that way. 
and and then I might find that you know maybe it, you know of course I don't know what it sounds like when I'm looking at the map I might find that it's not really that interesting and I'll come up with something else and either go somewhere somewhere else or if what I'm seeking to do is to record the amp, the ambiance, like the ambient sound of a space, and that's not working for me, then I might look instead for something t- to bring the mics closer to, sort of like bring the focus in on a stream running nearby. And streams are kind of fun because a stream sounds different every six inches along its length. You know, you could depends on what what stones it's rolling over, where you are, how deep it is, how much. It's rained in the past week, et cetera. And so if I if I place the mics here, it's going to have one sound. If I point the mic downstream, it'll sound different from pointing it upstream. And if I move six feet away, it's a totally different palette of sound there as well. So um, I can always sort of zoom in in that sense to, to find something else if my initial plan hasn't, hasn't panned out. Did you ever try, let's say you're in a stream, not in a stream, but beside a stream and you find like a, a pretty sized boulder enough to grab. Do you ever like, let's say, put that in the stream to try to get a different sound? I, I haven't done that. I have, I guess that I have a, a sort of a, a stance generally of trying to maintain observer status. And uh, I know there's a certain fallacy to that, but, but not, I don't come to interact so much as I do to record what I find. But I will say that that I have interacted with with boulders and large rocks in the setting specifically of creeks because they can really change the acoustics because sometimes they create enclosed or partially enclosed spaces. And so I've had a lot of fun. I have a really short tripod. It's like a tabletop tripod. It's like maybe five inches tall. And so I can, if, if it's a shallow portion of a stream, I'm working with typically pretty small volume streams up in the mountains. I'll find settings sometimes within a stream uh, where there'll be uh, uh, over on the side by the bank, there's still water flowing there, but there's like an alcove or there's a, almost like a partial cave, a miniature cave where the water is flowing under the stone in a certain place. And I can set the microphone down within that. And so within a space like that, the direction that you point the microphone in changes the sound, the, the, whether it's, you know, uh, in different dimensions. So like on the X axis, the direction that you point the microphone in will, will change the sound also the Y axis. And so, um, and the Z axis. And so you can, you can get a lot, there's a huge, uh, menu of sounds in a small space when you have a setting like that, and that's because of there's the sound is what is there's the water is what I'm seeking to record, but the sound of the water is reflecting off of the sound of the stone. And to some extent, it's probably mostly being absorbed by the sound of, of, of any earth in the bank, but but stones can be reflective. So I'm not manipulating the environment, but I'm manipulating the recording device, the microphone within the environment to change what it is the microphones are picking up. Speaking about the modifying the style or the strategy to record sound, have you ever, I know this is not necessarily the best thing, but have you ever, let's say, did a DIY mix, mischief, not mischief, but like a DIY type of plastic covering for the microphone to submerge it underwater so you can record the sound of the river underwater? No, but I've, <laughs> but I've, but I've thought a lot about it. And there are people that do that a lot. And, it, and, and in fact, there's some microphones that are better suited for it. Usually the less expensive microphones, of course, are better suited for it. But And there are microphones that are fairly water resistant, I think. And there are also hydrophones. There are microphones that are designed to be submerged in water 
and, and record sound. Sound travels very differently in water than in the air. It travels much more quickly in the water. Uh, this might be of interest. I have not I stalled out on this project, but I became curious about how sound would transfer within the water to the air if to find a way to, to translate, to uh, transmit sound from within the water to the air without using any amplification. So when you amplify sound, you're, you're, you're adding power, typically electrical power, to the process. And I wanted to find a way of doing that without it. I think that what I'll end up doing, I bought a stethoscope to see if I could fiddle around with that and, and find some way. That didn't work out. But I am thinking about using a length of tubing. People say, some people say copper or aluminum, some people say plastic, but anyway, to some sort of tubing uh, to, in, to, to drop down into a stream and then run up into the air and then to create a, um, like a parabolic, I don't know what the term is, like a parabolic shield, essentially just like a, like a, a bird feeder cover that you, you know, is, is something that people use for, for something inexpensive. Because that's a way to not actually amplify the sound, but to better, more effectively distribute the sound in the air so that it is more audible. And so that's not even about recording necessarily as much as it is about manipulating sound. But uh, I'm really fascinated by the notion of sound underwater and uh, how to interact with it. I guess my thought would be to, I would record the sound that I transmit from underwater to the air but just the process of trying to trying to understand the physics of that in a way to make it effective has been really an interesting sort of tangent I've been on here and there in the past year. Well, you know what? I love your DIY method of just tackling it. You're like, you know what? What if I tried it this way? And then not every time you try it is successful, but it's the idea that you keep on trying and you'll end up finding something that works. And you're like, cool, this is my Matthew creation to capture this specific <laughs> sound. And then I just love that aspect. You're really thinking outside the box, or in this case, inside the water. It's bad pun. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It works. <laughs> well, you know what? You are going to have to send me a picture of the creation you created, and I'd love to see, and I'll try it out myself. Excellent. Yeah, I, it's it's still in process. It's something I've been looking to get to get back to finding out about the parabolic shape and how that helps in terms of uh, transmitting sound. Um, it's also what. On the reverse end, it's it's used for if, if you want to record something at a at a great distance, then you use a similar shape. You 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 put insert a microphone, surround a microphone with that parabolic cone to pick up sound at a great distance. But microphones and speakers are typically just they're two sides of the same coin, and so the same shape would work for transmitting sound, um, just like it would work for 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 capturing sound. Like the human ear. Well, the human ear doesn't yes. tra it's like transmit sound unless you hear, unless uh, if it does, then uh, I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, you probably, probably don't want that. Yeah. Uh, so for you, what would you say is the biggest challenge when you first started field recording? Oh gosh, the first challenge, uh, the, the biggest challenge when I first started was airplanes. I was shocked to find out how many airplanes there are. Uh, and uh of course, I know there are a lot of planes in the world, but when I'm walking around in the world, I spend a fair amount of time hiking out in the woods in, in fairly remote places. And um, I'm in Virginia, so I'm not terrifically isolated over a great geographic distance, but I go up in the mountains and there are no people around, there's no cars around. And I thought I'll bring my microphone and 
set it up and just like record the beautiful, subtle sounds of the forest in this lovely afternoon. And um, even I've tried this going out into a remote location in the mountains in the Blue Ridge, like on a Sunday morning. Uh, and I thought, well, surely there's not going to be any air traffic then. But sure enough, like you don't know it's there until you listen for it. And the trick with it is that we don't pick up on it much because it's at a low volume, but it's also a low frequency uh, hearing, generally speaking, hearing planes, commercial air traffic from the ground. It's just this low drone that that it's got an arc to it, but it, it can last a really long time. It comes in really subtly, but then it gets less and less subtle and then it fades out. It takes a long time to fade it out. I'd first encountered that recording sound for film because it, it'll ruin a, a take if, you, if you're doing dialogue and then there's this plane flying over. If the plane isn't important to the scene, you can't have it in there. And so I knew it was a problem sometimes, but I didn't know how prevalent it was. And I didn't know... I, I looked into all these different things that you can do to to work with sound in post-production and and, and pull out different frequencies. And there's this finite, inf, inf, uh, what is it called? Finite impulse response technology that you can use. I don't even know what that term means. I just know that you can use it to extract ambient sound or a sound that you don't like if you have a mic cable that's buzzing. And if you have a recording of that isolated, like uh, just before we started this call, we paused for 10 seconds to record the ambient sound so that you can extract that from the recording. There's a, This is a similar approach. If there's a sound in a recording that you can isolate, but that runs throughout the whole recording, there are ways of, of, of identifying that with software and extracting it, it, extracting it. I didn't have I couldn't isolate the sound of the plane from the sound of the forest, though. And so when I tried that, it just made the forest sound like a nightmare. So I couldn't use it. The last thing that I did with it was uh, I started to, to work with, with field recording sounds as a basis for musical compositions in a really experimental sort of way. And um, perhaps the most uh, experimental part or example of that was when I had a sound of, um, of a setting in a forest that I really liked. It was just marred by plain sounds. And it was frust- I was just frustrated with it. And I thought, well, let's make lemonade, you know, like here's some lemons. And, uh, and I decided to just embrace it and, and, and exaggerate it rather than try and hide it or pretend it wasn't there. And um, I started to, uh, I decided I would do vocal tracks, layer harmony tracks of uh, my own voice harmonizing with the sound of the plane. And so we don't think of the sound of an airplane as being a musical tone, but on a certain level, it's a sound frequency. And so, you know, A440 is a sound frequency too. It's just a, you know, we, we, we think of these as two different things and one is perhaps more specific than the other. But ultimately, if you hear a sound, if you hear a, a, a weed eater uh, or a leaf blower, it's ha- it, you can harmonize with that. You can find uh, uh, the note that's happening there. It'll vary as the RPMs vary of the of the motor, but but there's a tone to it. And so I, I started to record myself uh, harmonizing, mostly as humming, but harmonizing with the sound of the plane and then coming in at a, at another octave or at another interval from that and, and harmonizing with that. And I did, I don't know, five, six, seven 
mostly octaves, I guess, because uh, uh, I'm sure I wasn't doing fourths and fifths that many of them, but um, but doing uh, just an organic sort of harmony to exaggerate this aspect of the recording that I didn't like. Uh, and so then it moved from field recording to music or did it, I don't know, like it's not very listenable, but somewhere in the middle. And uh, it was at least an, an interesting exercise. I think, you know, listening to it now, it's not clear that there's a plane, but the humming is also not so prominent. And so I think that if it were playing in the background, people wouldn't necessarily notice anything about it because it's not a sudden sound. It's a, it's a sound that slowly comes in and slowly goes out. But anyway, the planes are... Uh, they're they're uh, they're omnipresent where I am. Um, I think mainly because the Appalachian Mountains, the backbone of that mountain system, is congruent with uh, 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 the primary flight path north south on the east coast, and so um, it's the best place to go to find plane sounds <laughs> from the ground. And I'd have to travel out towards West Virginia and Kentucky to find uh, a place where there's a large geographical area that is not that is not uh, flown over on a daily basis by regular flight tra uh, plane traffic. So anyway, yeah, that's that was the biggest challenge starting out. Well, you know what? I do like how you took a weakness but turned it into a strength. It's like, oh, no, a plane's flying there. Wait a second. Lemonade. <laughs> yeah. And also you're talking about like the technology to cancel out certain sounds. It reminds me of NVIDIA, which is a graphics card or a computer company, and they've developed something called NVIDIA Voice, which allows people to cancel out all the sounds except voice. It's like a video online, a guy hitting a hammer while having a fan blowing right into the mic, and it just picks up the voice only. Does not, and it's an AI. Wow. So it's continuously wow. learning. So I'm thinking if it's possible to reverse engineer it to a point where it just learns like a bunch of different sounds and you're able to pick out sounds you do not want in the track. So it would make things easier, let's say for your plane, for example, that you would be able yeah. to like just take out that plane sound because of all the AI recording of plane sounds. It's like, okay, this is a plane, don't want it in the track. And it doesn't jeopardize the vocals too much, but this is still a, a pretty new technology. They have it for Discord as well, but it's kind of cool how we're at that point where we can cancel out so sounds live while speaking. That's remarkable that it's live. I hadn't even realized you were talking about a live phenomenon until you just said that. Now I know there's. I've used software in post production that does a similar thing with. It's an adaptive program. I don't know if it's technically machine learning, but it's that idea that there's as you're playing a sound, the software is learning about the sound you're playing and can you can use that you can use what the software is learning about the sound to choose how to manipulate the sound to get rid of things you don't like to amplify things you do etc i have no idea how any of that stuff works it's crazy algorithms i'm sure but it's but it's clear particularly with what you're sharing that this is something that can be uh done live it's clear that there's a lot of progress being made um at a pretty rapid pace uh in that department it's exciting i i mean it's it's kind of blowing my mind as somebody that started working uh, with recordings in, uh, in, you know, in the physical and the analog medium, working with tape. You know, there there were a lot of fun things you could do with tape, but it, nothing involving software. <laughs> we really do live in an interesting time where like podcasts are becoming more popular. So everybody's interested in audio and sound recording and everybody can become a musician and produce it online. So I, I'm really glad that we're in an era where audio is just getting a boost, an extreme boost. 
Yeah, it is. And it's exciting to see. I mean, when I started field recording, there were a few resources online. Um, and just in a, the, the, the couple of years it's been since I started calling it the, like that I identified it for myself as a hobby, really that I, that I, that I bought the device that I have now and started, uh, you know, putting time on my calendar to go out into the woods and record sounds. Um, that was a couple of years ago. And there were a few websites, most of them had some overlap to Foley and sound effects recording and people working with sound design for film. Some of them were just field recordists going out to record sounds of nature typically, but there weren't that many. And now I find they're like forums and stuff <laughs> online for people that are doing this sort of thing. So they may have been doing it all along and they just hadn't emerged as a community online in the same, to the same extent um, then. But, uh, but the, there is certainly the appearance of, of things picking up in terms of the number of people doing it. And like you said, with podcasting in particular, it's such an accessible medium for people. You've got everything you need in your smartphone to make a podcast, pretty much, you know. Um, and it's gotten people interested because you know you, you can catch a bug for podcasting, for field recording, for what you know different aspects of these things. And and then you want to learn more about it. And of course, you can learn more about it online, and you can learn more about it by by doing it more. And so, yeah, it's exciting to see because the more. The, the more that more people do these things, the more that each of them is learning, the more the collective knowledge increases and the more they interact with one another and the way that connectivity online and forum use um, and people creating communities around different activities and interests is growing. Uh, all of that, these people are doing in, independent research, learning what they're learning, learning on their own, but then they're bringing it back into a group setting. And we start to get this like hive mind potential, you know, for you really can't predict what's going to happen next after a certain point. You know what? The world is getting more connected together, and I just love that aspect. And audio is bringing you and I together. Absolutely. Audio and the internet together. Combine. Unite. Combined, uh, <laughs> yes. For you, you were talking about your earlier challenges, but I have to ask this question. Maybe you don't have any, but what are your current challenges today? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. And, and, there, and the main, uh, it's a different challenge. I mean, I, well, it relates to the original challenge, though, because I was talking about airplanes. And ever since, you know, with the pandemic, travel has slowed down. And so, of course, air traffic has slowed down with it. And I mean, I know there's still a steady stream. Uh, since I started field recording, I, I, I just kept wishing that I had been field recording uh, in the week after 9-11 in 2001 when there was no plane traffic, there wasn't military in the continental U.S. That was this rare window to record natural settings without that constant anthropogenic hum of jet engines. Um, and so I've been really conscious that during the pandemic, it's a it's a it's a certain opportunity to do something similar. It's not as extreme as that. But the challenge, though, for me now is finding time. Like I just, I'm doing other things. I'm, I'm stuck here at home, but I'm, you know, creating a podcast. I'm connecting with all kinds of people online in new ways and learning a lot of stuff online as well. And um, it, it, I feel like I have an opportunity to lean into that because of the circumstances and so I'm, it's, it feels important to take advantage of that. And uh, it's felt less important to go out uh, and do field recording. That said, particularly having that this conversation with you now about field recording, I'm inspired to make time to become more proactive, to make time uh, in my schedule to go out 
into the world and do some field recording. I've still been recording things, but it's mostly been just really local to my home. Like uh, there's some there's some cool gutter overflow that happens around this house in the in the rain, and uh, and I and I sort of perversely like the sound of traffic on the road out out in front of the house uh, sometimes. And there's a there's a, a a murder of crows that flies through here on occasion, and at least one of them has a great habit of doing this chattering that crows on occasion will do. I think ravens are better known for it, but crows chatter, and um, it's like a percussive sound. There's no tone to it, um, but it sounds like talking with with clicks, and um, it's it's been vexing me for years trying to record that sound, and I haven't succeeded, but but it's something that I engage with here in my home, but because um, that doesn't take time, like I, it doesn't take but a few minutes. But to go out into the woods and record something is kind of like an afternoon, you know, really to do that comfortably. So, so finding time for it right now is the biggest challenge. Hey, hear me out. I have an expensive and not as enjoyable solution. If you need to work from home, <laughs> buy a drone strap on the recording device, fly the drone to your specific location, let it land, record the area for an hour or so, then just fly it all the way back while you're working. Boom. Expensive and not as enjoyable solution. (laughs) (laughs) I I will definitely make a note of that. I had not I had not thought of that before. So, uh, I mean, just the notion of combining drones with recording is, is pretty fascinating. Obviously, people do that with with images. Um, but, and of course there are inherent challenges in terms of the noise that a drone is likely to make. Um, but, but if you can, if you have a drone, uh, that you can operate at a sufficient range and send it out somewhere and, and, uh, turn it off while you turn your recording device on. Yeah, that's some, uh, there's some pretty remarkable possibilities inherent in that plan. You know, what would be even better if that AI technology kicks in, then you can actually just cancel out the noise of the drone while flying the it. Drone. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I clearly haven't incorporated uh, that tool into my thinking yet. So that's, uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Welcome to Time for Your Hobby, where we come up with ideas that are completely out of the box, but could potentially work, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, where there's a will, there's a way. And where there's a drone, a drone, a recording, and some AI, there's even more ways. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And now, has field recording ever stressed you out? And if so, what do you do to de-stress? I know it's kind of hard to de-stress from a de-stressor, but has it ever stressed you out whether, I don't know, let's say the technology didn't work, let's say the your recorder device or the memory card was full or anything like that? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, the thing about a de-stressor is that if you're, if you're expecting to engage a de-stressor and then you can't, that can be stressful. And so, you know, you, what you alluded to is, is usually, well, it's two things. It's, it's t- technological stuff, uh, you know, human error often. Oh, I forgot to bring a set of backup batteries and these just dried up or the sound card is full because I forgot to empty it and I don't have another one with me. Uh, sometimes, you know, I've run into, my device has a hold feature on it. I never really knew what that was for. I hadn't had a recording device with a hold feature on it before. And so I'd never used it. I never thought about it. I forgot it was there. Couldn't get the thing to turn on. I replaced the batteries. It wouldn't turn on. I was like, this thing just died on me, you know? And I drove home and then looked at the manual. I was like, 
oh, the hold feature is on. It's like a safety catch on a gun or something. I just never thought about it. But I, but evidently, if the hold feed, if you turn, if the device is off and you ter- engage the hold feature, then it holds it in the off position. Like it's that specific. And so um, that was what had happened. But I lost an afternoon and I, you know, I lost my peace of mind in the process because I thought my machine had died. Uh, and in fact, I just, I just didn't know how all of the bells and whistles worked. But the other thing that's been challenging has been finding out the first time about planes. Like when one morning was on a Sunday morning, I was ready to spend the whole day just relaxing and enjoying everything, being out there. And and then I felt like I, I, I you know, I couldn't do any of it. And, and I, I saved it by recording a stream instead, which the sound of the stream crowded out the sound of the planes. But I didn't get the sound of the forest that I really wanted. It was a more subtle sort of sound. But, uh, you know, the, the, I guess the other thing is it, it, locational challenges like that. Uh, and, and sometimes I go uh, and try and get the sound of, of a train. But where I am, it's mostly freight trains. And there's no uh, there's certainly no published schedule for that. There are workarounds and, and apps now that you can use to listen into to radio communication and stuff. And you could get like a, a CB radio and tune it to a particular frequency if you really wanted to know what, where, when and where trains were moving. But um, that's a whole other level of investment. I'm, I'm not that interested in it to do that. But, um, but you know, if I want to go and record a, a train, then I'll go out and choose a spot uh, by a train track and, and, and uh, set up the, the mic and I won't turn it on till um i hear until i have the sense that there's a train coming in the distance and a lot of times a train never comes because they're just not such great train traffic through here but of course that's something that i know going into it that it's a gamble um but that doesn't keep it from stressing me out sometimes you know and then there are times when again this is sort of in terms of operator error there are times when i uh, will i will be just super jazzed that I'm in the right place at the right time to get this cool sound that's unusual and I feel really lucky to have stumbled across it and I'm like just like hanging out waiting for the sound to do its thing to get a good 30 minutes on tape or something and then I come back and find out that I never pressed record you know and so that's just something that's whatever you require I mean my experience has been that what it whether you're field recording recording music to it doesn't matter like that's something that's gonna ha- you know it's gonna happen like and it's usually <laughs> in my experience it's usually the best sounds or the best musical takes or whatever it is it's it's the best stuff that you that you miss out on and i I've come to terms with that through a really old tradition from ancient Greek culture that has come into modern English language, but is not used in the same way. So if you've heard people refer to libations, usually libations are referred to now, it's just a synonym for for drinking or a euphemism for drinking alcohol. Um, And it is related to alcohol going back into ancient Greece, but libations were originally an offering to the gods. So um, just like you'd sacrifice the best ram for for the gods or the best sheep or the best cow for the gods and put that on the altar you would pour out the best wine for the gods as well and so whenever you were at a festival whenever you were having a festival to apollo or whomever you were venerating at the time not only would you sacrifice this the finest animal in your flock but you would but you would sacrifice the best wine in your cellar by pouring it out for the god and so this is sort of a metaphorical stretch i know but 
I'm a fan of metaphor. So to me, the loss of these best, most choice sounds to operator error is this sort of unintentional libation to like the sound recording gods or whatever, whatever it might be. And, uh, and so I, 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 I've made peace with it in that sense and that it's sort of, uh, it's like the price. It's like the price of entry, or you know, to to um, to play the game, or it's the occupational hazard that that just comes with the territory. Um, and you just, I've found like I've just had to had to make peace with it. It's clearly out of my control. I get some good takes, but but it's always the, somehow the best takes that you find. There's actually no tape in the recorder, or uh, um, you forgot to press press record, or whatever it is this time. It doesn't happen that often. But it, but you know, that could be really frustrating. It's kind of like when you go fishing and you caught like this big fish, like you're about to catch it. And if you don't bring it back, nobody believes you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You got no proof. And you know what? I completely agree with you. Like I, whenever I record an episode with my guests, I always look back at the audio just to make sure it's recording. I'm like following the line. I'm like, all right, is it recording? Good. Cause I've hap- it happened a few times in the past where it just stopped recording. I'm like, how long? What, what did we miss? Oh, some good stuff. So like right now I'm like going back and forth between the questions and the audio. So I'm like, okay, good, good. You're recording. Good, good, good. Like right now I'm watching myself (laughs) talking like, okay, Alex, you talk too much. Anyways, back to you. What are some misconceptions about people who do field recording? Now you did say this is a tricky one to answer when we first started talking, but maybe you found a misconception now. Yeah. You know, I have, I think, and it's my own misconception perhaps that, uh, if we think about field people who do field recording, that we're talking about a group of people who have this one thing in common. And I've interacted with a few of them through the internet, but uh, I have not, I don't think I've ever interacted with anyone in person. So I can't say that I know any other field recordists. It's, it's occurred to me that I, because I don't know uh, field recorders, field recordists personally, I imagine that most of my understanding of them is is, is misconceived uh, in terms of why they do what they do, unless they're writing online about it. Some of them are, but also the the main misconception that I think I've been coming to terms with is that I've thought of this as a really small group of people that there just aren't that many field recordists, and um, I've learned that's not the case, uh, and that it's not clear to me that 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 group of people has grown a lot recently, or maybe that group of people has become more visible to me recently. But either way, there are more field recordists in evidence now when I look than there were when I began. And I guess that really, so maybe that's not exactly a misconception if the number has grown that I was perceiving accurately originally that there weren't that many uh, but but I, but if I think about it in terms of what draws people to field recording, I think I thought of a field recordist as a, as a person with a certain you know a certain interest or a certain angle on the world in terms of what they find interesting because you you know it's you're kind of seeking out something that other people are constantly passing by like people that record things they record someone playing the guitar or someone speaking something that's very focused and has a specific message or or intention with it and this is about recording found sounds and so i think about like the psychography of that, like what's the psychographic of a field recorder? Who are these people? They're people that are interested in things that are sort of out of the way that other people aren't paying attention to. But I think now what I'm seeing is that there there are many more people that have that sort of approach to the world. And maybe they weren't field recording two years ago, ago, and they are now. But I think it's not that they've changed so much as that they've found 
a new way of, of expressing this way of being in the world through field recording. So I, you know, may be going out entirely on a limb there, but, uh, but I did acknowledge it was a tricky question, I guess. So <laughs> I haven't, I haven't out. <laughs> that, that question and the next one is pretty tricky as well. Cause I, I always stump that with people. They always get like, Oh my goodness, Alex, why would you ask that? Uh, but yes, the following question to that would be what has field recording taught you in life? Like I told you, this is a tricky one. Yeah, no, it is tricky, but I actually feel like I have a, 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 an interesting answer for it. Um, and there are two two parts. You know, the, the the first response that I have to that is it's sort of like a practical uh, lesson of you know you got to show up, you got to make sure you got what you need. Your batteries are charged. You got a tape in the tape in the tape recorder. I'm using old language now. Of course, we don't. Most of us use tape recorders anymore. You got to have a sound card in your in your recording device. You got to have all your I's crossed and your T's dotted, as they say, or they they say something else close to that. But um, and then you got to roll tape again. That's old language, but you got to press record. You got to you got to. But what I'm saying is, it's a practical lesson that if there's something you want, you have to show up and take steps to get it, to achieve it, or to obtain it. Um, and so I know that's kind of obvious, but uh, that's if I look back on my own life not always about field recording, just in general, like I can see that I don't, it's not always been obvious to me. Like if I get in a quandary about something then I might feel like, oh, all is lost and like blah, blah, blah. When instead I could, I could find another angle to look at that problem and find out what I need to do to show up, what I need to do to get to get things lined up, like what are the tools that I need, um, whether they be physical tools or mental tools or social tools or whatever. And then what do I have to do to engage the, the, the circumstance to get what I want from it. Um, so that's like the first, that's the first lesson. It's a, it's a, it's a good lesson. It's a solid practical sort of lesson. But if I think about it a little more and I, from a more removed perspective and incorporate some other things that I've been learning recently that also pertain to field recording in that, um, I have been using field recording, uh, as a, 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 a foundational track to compose music on top of, and, and I've been slowly putting that out into the world. It's all experimental. It's really mainly just to, to keep myself in the process of making music because I'm sort of technologically challenged with, with recording tools right now. And it's just a way for me to use what I have available to me to be creative musically. But the important thing there is about putting it out into the world. And because whatever it is that I create, it has a meaning for me. It's served a purpose for me in that like having a creative outlet is inherently valuable for me. And I tend to get some value out of what I have created. I enjoy my own work. If I've done a good job, you know, I don't always, there are bad songs I write, there are bad recordings I make, but, but generally speaking, I, I like what I record. It's part of what inspires me to, to, to do creative work. And, um, and so that's all worthwhile. But realistically, um, you know, what's the value of a painting that is never seen? What's the value of a film that's never screened? What's the value of an album that's never released? It, it's much, much less, whatever it is, than the value it would have if it were put out into the world. And so for me, and this is something, again, that's sort of uh, a, an important thing for me to think about in terms of field recording, because I, I haven't been putting my field recording out into the world much recently and uh, only in only as these underlying tracks for for music, and I'm going to keep doing that. But I but I want to like I'm inspired by this question to think of 
of other ways that I might uh, put field recording out into the world. The first way that I tried doing it didn't pan out, but mainly because I didn't know how to market it. I didn't know how to market anything at the time. And I've learned a little bit about how to present things online now. And so I think it's time to reconsider what role I want field recording to play and what I can do to put field recording out into the world. I think there's, I think there are a number of different ways that field recording can be valuable published in, in whether it's for something practical like helping people sleep, um, helping people soothe their nervous systems, uh, helping people get in touch with the natural world or become in, more interested in the natural world. There, there are any number of, of potential ways to consider um, field recording valuable if it's made available to people. Uh, and so, but that's the main thing, like shipping my work, delivering creation to the world rather than just having a good time with it, getting some meditation time out in the woods and playing around with microphones and blah, blah, blah. Um, that's all well and good, but it's, but it's really important to, to share my work with the world. And I, and I want to encourage anyone that's doing creative work uh, uh, or any kind of work that is with the intention of making the world a better place um, or, or making anyone else's experience, improving anyone else's experience to put it out into the world, because that's how we all, the rest of us can benefit from it. And I really believe that everyone has something that is worth sharing with the world, something that other people will find benefit from, even if it's not clear to them how. Um, I just I, I just always want to encourage people to to do that. So that's the, the second level uh, lesson for me that, that field recording has helped me to learn. Well, here's the plot twist. I'm not releasing any of my podcast episodes. They're just all for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spending all that time, wasting your time. No, I'm kidding. But what you explained sound a lot like uh, I had another guest on. His episode is episode 98, which is out, not out yet. But by the time this episode comes out, it will be. But he talked about electronic musicking. So it's kind of like the idea of just capturing any sound and anything can be turned into music. And that sounds very familiar to what you describe and want you make music. So I'm like, oh, you might like his episode and he might like your episode and you guys can get connected together. His, his name's also Alex. So uh, yeah, great name, right? <laughs> but I'll, you know what? I'll let you know when that episode comes out so you can listen to it. Maybe you guys can get connected and then uh, maybe even make some music together. Absolutely. It's it's something that I know about people doing and I'm kind of a microphone geek and there are uh, folks out there that make microphones specifically for recording uh, the sound of the internal workings of your computer, let's say, uh, by, by attaching a contact microphone to the surface. And there are there are geophones that were originally created for uh, industrial application for mining, for determining like what's in the bedrock a mile down. Like this is what these microphones were first made for. But people have taken them and tweaked them so that you can still use them to record the earth, but in, a, in ways that are more suited for uh, music or field recording sounds than um, the sort of things that you were getting for that the mining folks were getting out of it. And so just looking at different kinds of microphones and, and, and the way that people have manipulated different specific kinds of microphones uh, gets you into all kinds of different uh, territories like that. And I'm definitely interested in the sort of industrial, uh, I can't remember the term you used, elect electrical musicking or something, but uh sounds fantastic. I mean, it's, it's uh, that kind of exploration is inherently interesting to me. And if I, if I had a budget for all the microphones that I liked, would like to have, then um, I would be doing more and more of those strange things myself. <laughs>
we'll get some sort of like surgery and have a microphone implemented into our arm and just on every time you just like raise your arm like boom record lower your arm it's probably just a matter of time <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. and uh do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in this hobby sure i mean i i would say I'm a proponent of starting small in terms of investment. Even if you've got $1,000 to throw around, I wouldn't suggest spending it right away on gear um, because honestly, because you'll learn more if you start with just your smartphone. Like your smartphone's probably got an app on it for recording voice memos. And if it doesn't, you can find a dozen pretty easily for free, I'm, I'm sure. And so you've got everything you need in your smartphone. Um, and if you don't have a smartphone, uh, you can you can find a cheap recording device, like a handheld digital recording device for under $50, uh, certainly under $100. Um, and like I said, the one that I use is, is just about $100 itself. And it's a little, little um, nicer than some of the lowest end things. But by using inexpensive gear in the beginning, um, for one, you haven't invested much. So you're not going to be out much if you find out you don't like this hobby, uh, or if you find out that the gear you bought doesn't work for your aims. But but more importantly, perhaps you find out more, or you set yourself up in the long run to learn more about sound and about recording and about field recording specifically, because if you begin with a really inexpensive device, you will find its limitations. And um, those limitations might actually prove useful to you if you want to be experimental with what you do with the, what you record. Um, you can sound artifacts from, from cheap recording devices or bad microphones could be really interesting if that's something that's interesting to you. But even if what you want is pristine sounds of nature uh, and you've bought an inexpensive recording device, you'll find out pretty quickly as your um, familiarity with the process and with working with sound increases, you'll find out what the limitations are of that. And that'll give you a better sense. You'll be better informed to make a purchase to level up and get something that's a little nicer than what you have. And if you go about that incrementally and so not go from a $50 device to a $1,000 arrangement of gear, but go from a $50 device to like a $200 device, um, then you'll find out again, you'll see what you've gained by taking that step. And then you'll find out also eventually what the limitations are of that setup. And each time it's like a fork in the road and you can choose your own adventure, where which direction you want to go based on what you've learned from your experience so far in terms of honing your direction uh, moving forward and better uh, being better informed about the gear that you want. Because once you start looking at spending $500 or more on gear, the number of choices you have, the number of options you have goes crazy. It, goes, it becomes huge very quickly. It's easy to be overwhelmed. And if you don't, if you're not informed in terms of what different what the different options represent in terms of what you gain or lose by choosing individual uh, components um, a condenser microphone uh, versus a dynamic microphone versus a hydrophone versus a shotgun microphone or a parabolic microphone if you don't know if you haven't been working with sound those are just words but if you've been working with sound with devices that are limited then you have a much clearer sense of what you have to gain by making the choices that are available to you and you'll know better what those choices mean. And then, of course, just practically speaking, if you're not starting with a budget, you know, a lot of folks are probably just don't have $500 to throw at 
a bunch of recording gear, then you, you're, you're starting a collection of recording devices and microphone gear that you can keep, you know, like they'll wear out to some extent over time, but you can keep, uh, you get this sort of collection um, that um, may still be useful to you just because you got a nicer setup doesn't mean you won't still want to use the other setup. If you want to try a DIY underwater microphone and 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 uh, wrap a condom around a microphone and drop it in the river, um, then you, you know if you've only got one microphone, that's probably not a good idea. But if you've been doing this for a couple of years and you've collected several microphones by now, you might take your oldest, cheapest mic and feel like it's it's safe to play with that in a in a, in a setting that might damage it. You won't be out in the same way as if that were your own. So there's there are a lot of benefits to to starting small and 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 um, gearing up incrementally um, as you learn more about gear, as you learn more about the process, and your ears are trained by just working with sound. So um, that's that's the main piece that I would say for folks. But also, I guess to share again, like to share your work and to look online for forums um, where or you can learn from other people about all the different aspects of this. And one of those beautiful forums is Reddit. There's a lot of communities on Reddit that has so much information and so much so many helpful people there. Absolutely. Reddit's a great resource. Gear Sluts uh with a Z on the end, sort of a provocative name, but it's <laughs> um really just a reference to gear people that like gear too much. Uh, Gearsluts.com is uh, probably mostly people recording audio for music and for film and stuff there, but there are a lot of audio engineers. It's a free forum to join. And um, it's, it's, a, it's another forum, not unlike Reddit, except it's limited in its scope to talking about audio gear. And there are folks in there that work with field recording, or at least can answer your questions about gear. And you can cruise around forums like that and just learn an enormous amount just by reading threads. If you've got a question about there's often a lot of people that review gear in settings like that, whether it's Reddit or Gear Sluts or somewhere else. People love to buy gear and then go on and tell everybody about what they hate about it or what they love about it. And so it's a good way to find out what you're getting into with gear as well that way on forums. You know what? The internet has so many resources. Google, you know, just Google. What yes. is this? All right, and then boom, we found it. But actually, this is a great segue to my next question. We've had, we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, but we'll talk about it again at the end. Do you have any social media links, websites, projects, or anything at all that you would love to share? It can be related to your hobby of field recording, or it can be related to anything else. Thanks for asking me again, because I actually realized that in the course of the conversation, there was one that I, I don't think about much, because I don't share it that much. And I'm not all that active on there, but it is actually the one public place that I've released uh, my field recordings. For a while, I had a Patreon account, and technically it's still there. It might not be by the time this episode airs, but it's not active. But uh, but but I have an account on SoundCloud. I don't know the act, the exact URL. Uh, I might find that in just a moment here. But um, but the yeah, I can tell you what that is actually. It's SoundCloud.com/slash. It's a forward slash. Matthew Word Bain, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-W-O-R-D-B-A-I-N. And um, I've got five-minute uh, snippets of field recordings that I've made there, as well as some of the experimental music that I've described that incorporates uh, field recording um, as a foundation for it, and then also just some good old fashioned songs, like, like music, music that people make or that I make in this case. And then I mentioned linkedin.com 
Uh, I think it's slash Matthew hyphen word hyphen Bain. But if you search Matthew word Bain on LinkedIn, you should find me. Please feel free to connect with me there. And um, Instagram, my account is Photokthon, P-H-O-T-O-C-H-T-H-O-N. And my website podcast is adventuresinabc.xyz. That's perfect. I'm definitely going to go check out the SoundCloud thing right after this episode. And I'm going to put all the other links or all the links technically in the description below so people can go check it out and show some love and watch you grow. And now for the last question that is not really relevant and not useful or important, but I ask it anyways. Do you have any questions for me about field recording? Oh, gosh. Wow. <laughs> What's uh, uh that's a really great question to ask. Um, do I have any questions for you about field recording? You can put me on the spot. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I'll just um, – one to start with, and then if you answer this, I'll, I'll have another. But have you ever done any field recording? Um, well, so I had a mic stand, and then I tried recording myself sleep talking. Would that be considered field recording? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Other than that, I've recorded like neighbors fighting really loud that we can hear through downstairs for, for reasons that I wanted to prove that my neighbors were loud. Uh, no, I'm yep. kidding. Uh, other than that, uh, no, I haven't necessarily tried. I don't think off the top of my head. If so, it might have been by accident uh, recording. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind having it and then maybe try making make, making music with it because I always do like adding different sounds to my music. And yeah. field recording, who knows what I'm going to catch? Maybe an interesting sounding plane. Yeah. Chances are you would record a nice plane. <laughs> I, I think that's that was going to be my follow-up question was whether you had ever, because you'd mentioned you, you record music, whether you had ever um, incorporated, uh, whether it be field recording or something more like Foley sounds um, into, into like, but found sounds or created sounds that weren't specifically music from an instrument or a voice uh, into your recording. And it sounds, sounds like you have. Can you, well, I'll just say, that's something that Prince did uh, here and there in some of his songs and albums. Sometimes it was interstitial, interstitial sounds in there that I always loved. It was like a way of dramatizing and making coherent an album, like making it a whole object of art and not just a list of 10 songs or something. But mm -hmm. um, have, have you, uh, I'm curious, like what a couple of examples might be of what sort of sounds you have incorporated into your musical recordings? Uh, one of the simple ones I feel like I've tried this many times, dropping of coins on different surfaces. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah other, other things I've tried, like, uh, was like a clap. I tried doing claps in different areas in the house to get different types of reverb just to get the sound. Yeah. Uh, different types of hits. I also, I really like, so I do a lot of like hip hop and orchestra and score. So I like that epic sound. So maybe sometimes like I would hit the bathtub to get that bass. Like, yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, so yeah. I, I really like just hitting <laughs> it sounds weird I like hitting things I like dropping things yeah like I'm looking at my room right now I'm looking like what can I scratch punch push like I'm looking oh maybe a Rubik's Cube if I push it off the table what sound would that make uh -huh. <laughs> so it's really like just my imagination I have a sports bottle like what, what sound would that make come here let's see if I can just do it right now there you go <laughs> yeah yeah well, that's the spirit of it to me, you know, I mean, it's the difference between between that and field recording in my mind is that field recording is 
like capturing found sound, like it's something that's just there and you, you, you contain it, you, you record it. Um, whereas Foley or sound design or, or something like that is, is more about making specific sounds uh, in different ways, whether it's, you know, like I did, like an actual bottle breaking, or if you're using, you know, the example of pulling a rug across another rug to get the sound of the wind, but you're, you're, it's a more active creation of sound that you're then recording. But it's all, all of that is, I guess with field recording, it's more about the, the curiosity of, of seeing what you're going to find and finding an angle on it. Like you're manipulating the experience of listening and that you're choosing a microphone direction and placement and stuff. So there's an interactivity like that, but it's less active in terms of generating sound. Um, but all of it, there's this certain kind of curiosity and experimentation that's inherent in it. And, you know, I'll mention too that you mentioned uh, like transients, like recording percussive hits for musical use. And I've found, um, I'm a big fan of, of electronic music and EDM and, um, I haven't managed to make any, it's confounding me still, but, um, but I, but I love like dance music house and stuff, you know, all this stuff like from raves in the nineties on. It's like, I, I just, I just love all that stuff. And I've, I've read a lot about it. I've, I've absorbed a lot of content online uh, that's available for people that are trying to, to make that stuff, like I have been unsuccessfully trying to do for, for, for a while. And, and I found out that there is a – that Foley has, uh, has found its way into that context. And so there's a specific – uh, fully used in the context of EDM uh, is electronic dance music production is a specific definition in that it it's not about dramatizing sound. So it's not about adding sound effects to a story or a narrative like you would find on radio or in a film, but it is about going out into the world and capturing sounds either. I guess there's some overlap with field recording. Like if you look at like the lo-fi stuff, on online, there's often like the sound of the rain in the background that's being mixed in with the music. But it's also people will go out and, and like bang on the bathtub like you did, or look around the house and find the best room to hit the best thing to make the best drum, the best percussion sound that they're looking for, or to go out and find that in the world, or to close their car door, or their all these different things. And they use the term foley to refer to that in terms of a, I guess it's defining a sound source for an instrument, um, they refer to it as Foley, as opposed to something that they're generating with a synthesizer, either an analog or a, or a digital synthesizer. So it was cool to go find, you know, to be lurking around in that domain of, of music making and, and, and sound uh, engineering and find this, this old term, uh, finding essentially a new identity for itself in that space. Well, it's interesting you mentioned lo-fi because I do lo-fi as well. And I always love the background sound, whether it's like rain or vinyl. One thing I'd maybe like to try once things open up again, maybe in a coffee shop, just record that and throw yeah. it in the background. Or once my son is born, maybe just record him crying and add that in the background. In the <laughs> Probably yeah. not as enjoyable for listeners. Like, oh my goodness, what is that? <laughs> oh, oh, my ears are bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, you know what? I'd, I'd give it a try. I'd definitely give it a try the way that you were talking about. Less fo uh, foliage. What was the word? You said foliage or? Foley. 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 I said another it's, word. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's uh, F-O-L-E-Y as opposed to foliage, like you were referring to the leaves of 
of plants and other and uh, yeah, but yeah, no Foley. I think it. I think it was somebody's surname. Like, think I think it was somebody's surname. Sir Foley. Yes, Sir Foley. He was also the surname of Miles Davis's lead bassist uh, in I think the eighties and early nineties. I think Red Foley was his name, but um, he, he was uh, uh, he is I guess uh, a bassist. But he he became. He played the bass as a lead instrument in Miles Davis's band back. Uh, I know he was on the album where Miles Davis covered uh, the Michael Jackson song "Human Nature." This is all extraneous to field recording, of course, but um, but just uh, pinging off of of the name Foley, uh, still in a recording context, I suppose. But uh, I collect trivia, I suppose, so uh, it comes out every now and then. And I know people listening might ask, well, what happened to that question Alex asked later on? Was there an answer for it? And now I'm just going to run back as the last question to it. Did, did, was there a sound that you could not identify? Yes. Oh, great. Um, was there a sound that I did not identify? I can't think of, of an example of that um, in my experience of field recording. I can say that sometimes I've, rec- I've recorded flowing water a lot of different times, and I have to be careful to catalog uh, those recordings carefully so that I record like the, the time and the place and the circumstances so that I'll, I'll know what, what that body of water was and where it was under what bridge or in what field or forest or whatever, um, because it can be difficult to go back later and be like, Oh, it's the sound of a creek. Well, what creek? You know, I mean, what is? You know, it's it's hard to tell. Sometimes I can tell, um, but so I can lose track of the identification. But that's that's not exactly what you're talking about. I uh, uh, unable to answer that question very satisfactorily. May I propose an additional question that you can ask? Me? Sure. So uh, the, the uh, just because I have uh, I have a couple of fun answers, or at least one. I had two. Uh, is uh, is there a sound? Uh, that you wished you had recorded but mm. couldn't. Is there a sound that you wish you had recorded but didn't? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked because <laughs> there there is indeed. And it's actually, I hadn't thought about the, this factor until just now, but I think it actually played into my interest in going into field recording. Although technically this was probably uh, more an example of Foley uh, in that it wasn't, it was a, it, it was the sound of a found object. Um, but, but some friends of mine and I made the sound with the object. So, so this example was, I was tubing with some friends on a river and we put in at, at a confluence where one river flows into a, a larger river. And we were just hanging out there in the, in the water at the confluence waiting, for, I think, for the rest of our friends to arrive. And at that confluence, there's also uh, a, a railroad line that comes through and uh, and, and travels on a, on a bridge over the river. So no doubt over time, any any amount of detritus from the, the railroad has uh, descended down into the, the, the water of the river, just coming off of the trains and coming rolling down the hill or dropping off the bridge. And we found a spring that was, uh, I mean, it was, the, it was a stout enough spring we probably couldn't have squeezed it together or we couldn't have manipulated it to stretch or compress just because it was such uh, thick material, but it was also old and rusted. So it was pretty brittle to begin with, but there's all these huge boulders or exposed bedrock uh, in the river, you know, jutting out of the river here. And, um, 
this coil dropped or spring uh, dropped and rolled down uh, the stone and fell into the river. Uh, but it fell into a like a shallow place where there's not a lot of current. You can, you could see where it went. So we didn't actually lose it. And that was what led into this experience where I didn't have any recording gear on me at the time. I Even if I had owned any, I wouldn't have brought it with me because we were going to go on inner tubes on the river. It would have gotten wet, you know. But um, But this sound was amazing like it was it was just like it was to die for in my mind now because it was the sound of the spring tumbling down the stone it wasn't like it was rolling down a flat surface it was an uneven surface so it was it was bouncing up and down along the the stone as it rolled down over the space of about 10 to 12 feet and then it landed having gained some speed with this chunk into the water. Um, and then happily we could retrieve it each time. And it became this just like terribly geeky sound thing game. Uh, you know, it's, you can tell what a sound geek I am. Cause it was just, I was just going back down and picking it up, going back up and dropping it and letting it roll down and hear I just wanted to hear it hit the water again because it was different every time. And it was, there was a similarity to it each time, but it was always a little bit different. And I, I'm, I'm giving, I'm imitating that sound with this sort of chunk, you know, but that's a very, very poor imitation. It was a very musical sound and, and slightly unpredictable each time. So, so that was, uh, I realized, not exactly field recording. So to satisfy the field recording aspect of the question, I, I did make reference to this earlier, I suppose. Crows and ravens as well, I don't encounter ravens as often, but crows make this chattering sound. Um, they, you know, crows do this caw, caw sound that they make usually that people associate with the sound of crows. But on occasion, you'll find crows making this chattering sound and there's something musical about it. It's like a, 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 like a scale run or something, but it's not tone so much as it is percussion. Um, I guess there's some implied tone to it, maybe, because it's happening in a resonant, the resonant chamber of their, their heads and throats uh, and beaks. But it's to me, it's just a magical sound. It, it, really, it, it really communicates. I don't know to, to what extent this is real, but there's some evidence that of intelligence in crows. And to me, it is an, an expression of intelligence. There's, I don't mean to say that they have a vocabulary and syntax, but there's there's something emotive about the sound. I resonate with it. Like I, I, the sound is appealing to me on some kind of level, communicative level, some level of expression. And uh, it has been the sound that got away time and time and time again, because you never know when you're going to be around crows and you never know. And it's even rarer if I'm around crows that I hear one of them making this sound. And then even if I have my recording device handy, can I turn it on in time? And can I get to a place where I'm close enough to actually record it? So it's a very sort of my holy grail of, of uh, field recording these days in that I really would love to have a recording of that to be able to listen to uh, whenever I like. And to be able to re to incorporate that into a piece of music seems like a whole new level of incorporating field recording into music because there's something so expressive about it. It's a, it's 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 an animal sound as opposed to like the sound of the wind or water, which is often what I find myself recording. Although I record the sounds of insects a lot, cicadas and stuff like that too. But crows chattering often just before rain or on a rainy kind of day. Uh, there's just a, a something really magical about that sound for me. And I have tried many times 
to capture that sound, and I have not yet succeeded. So, like I said, it's my holy grail. Well, first of all, if you, when you're talking about the spring going down, I would have been there with you. If I was a kid and I was there, I would have definitely done the same thing. Like, cool. I love sound. I've always been a sound geek as well. Always loved anything related to audio. And for the second thing, I'm knocking on wood that the crow next morning comes to your window like, "Want you want to record this now? I'm ready. I'm good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Matthew, for coming on and just sharing your love for audio because, you know, I love audio. So this was just wonderful. I can listen to you all day, pun intended, because it's audio. See what I did there? (laughs) Yeah, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Well, it's been my pleasure, Alex. I really I was looking forward to it. And and yet my expectations have been exceeded in terms of how much fun it has been to talk with you about um, field recording. And I've learned some things about my own experience and practice and perspective just from having the chance to share about it. So I hope it's, I hope it's helpful to other people and uh, I'm always happy to talk about field recording or anything else about recording to anybody else uh, that wants to connect with me online. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience on my end and I did learn a lot as well. And it was just really cool. It was like down to earth. It's kind of like speaking to myself, like somebody else loves audio just as much as me. So actually, yes, if you guys want to learn more about Matthew, you should go check him out. I'll put all the links down below in the description so you can go show him some love, watch his journey, or in this case, listen to his journey. See what I did there? Another pun. I am ready to be a father, apparently, with these cheesy dad jokes. (laughs) Dad jokes. Good job. And if you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you could send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the podcast and want to leave a review, hey, I'll say yes. You can even leave a bad review, good review, doesn't matter. You can even send a carrier pigeon with a review. That'd be pretty impressive if that happened. But yeah, that's optional. Also, if you want to buy merchandise, I sell merchandise on Redbubble with a Time for Your Hobby logo on things you do not need. And I also have a Patreon. Once again, these are all optional, but all those are down below in the description if you're interested. So once again, Matthew, thank you so much. Alex, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care.